thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul answers questions the Corinthians had uh, concerning 11 different issues. And with each one of these issues, Paul gives them some biblical truth that they need to know to rightly exercise these issues in their life and in the church. And so far, we've looked at the first six issues that Paul has addressed. And now we're going to move into the seventh. But I want you to note that the next three issues that, that Paul focuses on are headship, communion, and spiritual gifts. And there's a connection within these three issues that Paul is going to address. And the the connection is that there is a proper order. There is a proper way in which we should function as we get together as believers for a church service like this. And one of the problems that the Corinthians faced is that they didn't have a proper order. They weren't functioning properly in certain ways as they got together. And three of those ways was the the headship, the authority structure within the church was not functioning the way that God had designed it to. They weren't taking communion properly and focusing on the proper person, which is Christ. And spiritual gifts were not being exercised properly like God had intended. And so as we look at these you know, next three things, I want you to kind of see them under the umbrella of the proper use and function within a gathering of believers together, because that is what Paul is going to address. Um, but we're going to start this morning looking at the first issue that wasn't being done properly within the church service, and it's the issue of headship. Now, this issue of headship is dealing with who is your head? Who is your authority? Who is it that you should be submitting yourself to? You see, the Corinthians were asking all these different questions about different issues, and this was one of those questions. Paul, we need to know who our head is, who our authority is, who is it that that we should be submitting ourselves to, and these questions were really um, speaking about both genders. We want to know specifically who the head of men are, who the authority is for for men, and we also want to know who the head of women are, who the authority is for women, and so they they pose these questions to Paul, and so he's going to answer them uh, and make it very clear what God's ordained authority structure is. And so he's going to start off just making very clear what that is. And then Paul is going to continue by giving three examples. And the examples that he gives have two main purposes. First, they help make the point of the head and authority that God has established but also they help correct a specific issue that the Corinthians were struggling with, which connected to headship and authority there in their fellowship. And so the three examples that Paul is going to use are first, there's going to be a cultural example. And this cultural example is going to address this specific issue that they were dealing with and struggling with in the church service. Second, he's going to use an example from creation. Uh, and third, he's going to use an example from nature. Now, before Paul gets into these three examples, he's going to start with answering the very important question of, okay, Paul, 
Who is our head? Who is our authority? What structure has God established within headship among believers? Now, right before he addresses that, because he's going to now get into three main things where he's going to kind of be rebuking them for how they don't uh, operate properly within a church service. He's just going to start by giving a couple of encouragements uh, in verse 2 before he moves into some of the rebukes. So let's see what he says in verse 2 to encourage uh, these believers in Corinth. He says this, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. So Paul starts off praising them in two things. You know, I think this is a good pattern to be in anyway. If you have something that you need to correct someone with or to rebuke someone in, you know, it's also healthy to also encourage them in areas that they are doing well before you bring down the hammer on areas where they're not doing so well. So Paul starts with, hey, you guys, before I get into where you're failing as you get together as a body of believers, let me also encourage you on things that you're doing well. And so he praises them in two different areas. First, he praises that they They remember Paul in all things. This shows a great appreciation for the work that God was doing through Paul in their life. And, you know, Paul had planted this church and, you know, had been influencing them a lot and God had been using him. And so he's very grateful for that. And second, Paul praises them that they keep the traditions that Paul had delivered to them. Now, this word translated tradition, it comes from the Greek word, and it means to give or deliver something to someone by word of mouth or in writing. So a tradition in and of itself isn't bad. Uh, it can be bad if what is passed on isn't biblical, and it can be good if what is passed on is biblical. And I think we hear this word in the church world today so often, tradition, and so often we, we have this kind of negative connotation that comes with it because we just think, oh, that means we're going to be bound by ancient, outdated traditions and ceremonies that we're going to have to do. And so usually we hear this word in connection with the church, and, and we don't really like it, but the traditions that Paul delivered to the Corinthian Christians were simply the teachings and practices of the apostles that Jesus declared to them. And so he's passing on good biblical sound truth to them. So this is healthy and it's good. And that's why he praises them for doing this. So this is something that is, is a good thing. Now there are certain traditions in the church world today that aren't biblical, that aren't good. Uh, and so we shouldn't continue those. But what Paul is encouraging them in is the fact that they are continuing biblical truth, uh, and this is why he praises them for it. Well, now that Paul has given them these two praises, he's now going to get into the crux of what he wants to focus on first, answering this question about headship and authority, and he does that in verse 3 by saying this, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So Paul says, you know what, there's something I want you guys to know. You've asked this question and there's a good answer to it. You need to know God's order, God's headship structure. It's so important to know. It's so important to understand. And I think in our culture today, it's even more important because I think we have more issues with this than they did back in the culture of Paul's day. And so this Greek word translated head that Paul uses three times here in this verse It means one who has authority, the leader, the chief, the head. 
So when Paul uses this word head, he's speaking of a position of authority, a position of leadership, and he wants us to know who has God placed as the head over us? Who is in that position of authority and leadership over our lives? Well, Paul tells us three relationships, three positions of authority and positions of submission to that authority that he wants us to understand. First, there is God the Father, and he is head of Jesus the Son. Second, Jesus is head of every man. And third, man is the head of woman. Now, because Paul connects these three relationships of headship and authority together, you know, that there's really uh, something that we can learn so well because there's really only one relationship that's been perfectly done. The other two, we, we fail miserably in them often, but there's one that's been perfect. The, the authority's been perfect. The submission to authority's been perfect. And that is the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And so what I want to do is first examine the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son because it gives us the example that God wants when it comes to how authority and submission to authority should look like. Because in our culture today, this is something that has become very different than what the Bible sees. And we've come to a lot of conclusions that are, are not biblical conclusions and we see it in a very negative way oftentimes of someone being an authority over you or having to submit to someone uh, these are these are things that oftentimes in our culture we do not like and so I want us to first examine Jesus and the father and their relationship to see what a true example of headship and submission to headship actually looks like and the first thing I want us to note about the father and Jesus's relationship is that they are equals. John chapter 1 verse 1 we're told in the beginning was the word speaking of Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God. In John chapter 10 verse 30 we're told I and my father are one. Throughout the the gospels we see this reality that Jesus and the father are equals, which means that Jesus is not inferior to the Father. He is not less than the Father, but the Father has headship. The Father has authority over Jesus, the Son. Jesus says something in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Constantly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus revealing that I'm only saying and doing what the Father has specifically told me to say and do. What Jesus is revealing is I am in complete submission to my head, who is God the Father. So in the relationship between the Father and Jesus, the Father is the head. Jesus is in submission to that head, but recognize they are completely equal. This brings up a very important idea for us to understand when it comes to headship and submission, because whenever in our culture we talk about headship and submission, we never conclude equality. There's always, if someone is the head, then they are better than the person who is in submission to that head. That's the way our culture thinks. That's why a lot of people who are in that submissive role get offended by being told they should be in that submissive role because they think, you are telling me I am inferior to that person. You are telling me that that person is better than me. But that is not what we see biblically. That is not what we see in the relationship between the father and the son. We see headship and submission, and we also see equality. 
You see, in our culture, when we tell women that the Bible says you need to allow your husband to be the head of the home, there is a response to that that says, okay, I'm supposed to be submissive to my husband and allow him to be the head of the home. Well, that makes him you know, superior to me. That makes me inferior to him. And there's all these negative thoughts that come with that, but that is not what the Bible teaches when it talks about headship and submission. Being under the authority of your husband does not mean you are inferior. It does not mean any of those things. There is an equality that we have as husband and wife. Just like Jesus being under the authority of the father did not make him inferior to the father. So Jesus and the father, they're both God, but the father has the authority role and Jesus has the submission role, but they're both equal. Men and women are both human, but men have the authority And women have the submission role, but they are both equal. So in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, there's headship, there's equality, because both are God. In the relationship between men and women, there's headship and equality, because both are human. But there's something I don't want you to miss. There's a third relationship that doesn't fit this pattern. That's the relationship between men and Jesus. There is headship and there is submission to headship. Jesus the head, men need to be in submission to Jesus, but there is no equality because Jesus is God and men are human and there's no equality there. We are not equal to Jesus. Men and women have equality. We're both human. The father and the son have equality because they're both God. But when it comes to God and man, there is not equality there. God is definitely superior to men, but there's still that relationship of headship and that relationship of submission to headship. So the first thing I want you to understand is that in the role of authority and submission, there can be equality, especially between men and women and the roles that God has established for us. So just because God has placed a man as the head does not mean women are inferior to that man. The next thing I want you to note in this relationship between Jesus and the Father is that Jesus completely submitted himself to the headship and authority of the Father. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Notice this, Jesus humbled himself, humbled himself in such a great way that he was obedient to go to the cross and give his life. Who was he obedient to? Ultimately, the will of the Father. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, if there is another way, let this cup pass. If there's another way to redeem mankind, but he concludes, not my will, but yours be done. I am in submission to you as my heavenly Father to do what you say for me to do. So Jesus is our example of how we should respond to the headship that God has placed over us. Jesus was in complete submission to the Father, and that is what God desires of us who are in the role of submission to a head that God has established in our life. Jesus responded with complete submission to Father, so that means men, we should respond with complete submission to Jesus. And the reason there can be complete submission in both of these roles is because the one that we are submitting to 
is God. God who is perfect, God who is sinless. And so that's something that we need to recognize because, you know, I can be in complete submission to Jesus because I can know Jesus will never ask me to sin. Jesus is perfect. There's nothing he will do to cause me to sin. But when we come to the relationship between women and men, God does not command complete submission of a woman to, like, for example, her husband. And the reason for that is because there is an area where God does not want submission from a woman to a man, and that is if that man is asking that woman to sin. If your husband is asking you to sin, if your father is asking you to sin, if there's church leaders asking you to sin, God does not want to say, well, you should submit to that. No, God says, no, I don't want you to sin. So there's that area where if this male authority is asking you to sin, then you should not submit to that. But that's the only area. In every other area, there should be this willing desire to submit to the head that God has placed in your life. I think we need to understand something very important about headship, about authority, about order from the perspective of God. He sees this as vital. He sees this as extremely important. I want you to recognize it's part of God's very being. The two persons of the Trinity, we have three, but one is called the Father, the other is called the Son. Inherent in those titles is this reality of headship, Father, and submission to headship, Son. Within the Trinity itself, within the being of God, we see headship and submission to headship perfectly demonstrated. And so for us to kind of think these are bad things, this isn't good, then God is bad and he's not good because that's the reality of who he is and it's a part of who he is and he has established this for us and our culture today. So our failure to exercise biblical authority, our failure to submit to the authority that God has placed over us, it's not just wrong. It rebels against who God is. It rebels against what God has commanded for us. And so you're not just rebelling against some man. You're rebelling against God himself, which he takes very, very serious. So men... We are told that our head, the one who has authority over us, is Jesus. What does that mean? That means that we, if we're going to follow the example of God, should be in complete submission to our head, in complete submission to Jesus Christ. You know, I think sadly one of the main reasons that families and churches have gone downhill spiritually so much in the last 50 years or even more is because men have not done this. Men have not willingly chosen to submit themselves to their head, Jesus. Too many Christian men, they are not taking the authority of Jesus seriously over their life. And you're also they're not taking the spiritual headship that they've been given over their families, and over their church seriously. And the result of that has been families and churches having a huge spiritual void. So men, we need to remember that headship and authority are a responsibility. God has given us this responsibility. It's something that is important that he places on us, and we need to take that responsibility very seriously to lead our families and to lead the church spiritually. So men, our head and our authority is Jesus, and we need to submit to him and obey him in every area of our lives. Women, you are told that your head, the one who has authority over you, is man. Now notice in verse 3, we're told the head of every man is Christ. And then we're told the head of woman is man, not every 
man. And I want to emphasize this because there has been something within the, the, the church culture that has been taught that isn't true, and that is that every man is the head of every woman. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. The Bible does teach that there are certain men that are the head of women, and there's three areas, three different categories of men that are the head of women, and it's in different stages of women's life. The first one are fathers. Fathers are the head of their children. That would include men and women. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 1 and also in verse 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The father has been given the spiritual leadership role in the home to train up his children in the ways of the Lord. And so if you are a woman, then guess what? You have a spiritual head. It starts when you're born, and that spiritual head is your father. That's the same for men as well. We also have a spiritual head in our father, but we're just focusing on the woman role right now. So first you have that spiritual head as a father. Now, the second thing that the Bible tells us is that a husband is the head of his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we're told, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. For those of you ladies who choose to get married one day or who are already married now, the Bible is very clear that God has established your husband as the head of your marriage. And so, you know, you go from, you know, being under the, the headship of your father and then, you know, a man leaves his father and mother and the, and the two that are going to get married join together. And all of a sudden this wife now is under the headship of her husband. And there's a third thing that the Bible tells us, and that is that men are to be the head and authority in the church. In 1 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy lots of different things about the church and about ministry, and he definitely speaks about the roles of men and women. And one thing he reveals in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. We see in Scripture that God has established an authority structure within the church where men are given the authority to lead the church. Men who have the qualifications of pastors and elders and deacons are given this headship, given this authority within the church. And so when you choose a church, you might not recognize this, but you're ultimately biblically choosing to place yourself under the authority of the leadership that God has ordained in that church. That's for both men and women, just like under the father, both son and daughter. So as women, it's not men in general that God has a place in authority over your life. It's your father. It's your husband if you get married, and it's the male leadership that God has placed in the church that you attend. Now, God does expect you to submit to that male leadership that he's placed in your life. He expects you to submit to the headship of your father, to the authority of your father. If you get married, he expects you to submit to your husband, to the authority that he's placed in your husband, and within the church, to the church leaders. And he expects that in every way, except, as we mentioned before, if someone asks you to sin, then that's an area where God does not want you to submit. Now, when you don't submit to the male authority that God has placed in your life, you are rebelling against the authority that God has established. You're being disobedient, not just to the husband or the father or the church leaders, you're being disobedient ultimately to God himself, and he takes that very seriously. 
So the father is the head over Jesus. Jesus is the head over man and man is the head over woman. So now that Paul has made very clear the established order of headship and authority that God has placed there for us, he's going to give three examples to kind of, you know, build this point a little more and also to deal with a particular uh, problem that the Corinthian church were dealing with. And those three examples are an example uh, in the culture, creation, and nature. Now, as we noted earlier, the two main purposes are to kind of just share and, and ex, uh, expound upon this. But the main thing is is the specific issue, because the first example that has to do with the culture is something that they were dealing with within their church. And it was a specific issue to them. And so let's see what Paul has to say about their cultural issue, verses four through six. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So the cultural example here that Paul is giving has to do with head coverings and hair length. Now, it's important to know that the example that Paul gives about head covering and hair length in that culture had to do with headship and authority and submission to authority. And I note that because in our culture, you don't look at head coverings and hair length and make the same kind of conclusions because in our culture, they don't have the same meaning as in the culture uh, in that day. In our culture, length of hair really, and head coverings are just a symbol of fashion. In our culture, if you see a woman with her head covered with some kind of hat or scarf, you don't think, wow, look how submissive they are to male authority in their life. I mean, they have their head covered. I mean, they are so submissive to men that that's just not what we conclude. We either conclude that they look good with a hat uh, or or they don't. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a complete fashion thing for us. But in the Corinthian culture, when they saw a woman with her head covered, to them that meant this woman is demonstrating submission to authority, especially the male authority in her life. That was something that was seen in that culture and they concluded that reality. Now in our culture, if you see a woman with her head shaved or short hair or her head uncovered, you don't think how unsubmissive this woman is. I mean, how dare she have her hair uncovered? I mean, all of you women here this morning are so unsubmissive if that was the way in which we saw it, you know. And so we don't think that in our culture. We just think she looks good with short hair or maybe she should grow her hair out, you know, or she looks better without a hat. I mean, it's really down to fashion for us but in the corinthian culture when they saw a woman with her head uncovered to them that was a symbol of she is a very unsubmissive woman she's someone who definitely needs to get her act together in that regard but there's something else in that culture that is interesting that definitely is not in our culture either if a woman had very short hair and especially shaved hair it symbolized something that you wouldn't want to have uh, as a woman. It symbolized that you were a prostitute. Uh, because in that culture, if you had short hair as a woman, the prostitutes all had short hair. Now, remember Corinth. 
They, they worship Epaphrodites, and every single night there were a thousand temple prostitutes who would go out through the city soliciting sex in worship of the goddess of sex, Epaphrodites. All these women had short or shaved head as a demonstration of, hey, we're available for prostitution. And so, you know, in that culture as well, not only is short hair, you know, not just a fashion thing, it's a thing that says, hey, I am a prostitute. So in the Corinthian culture, a woman who had her head uncovered or had short hair was seen very different than our culture. She was seen as unsubmissive to authority, and she was seen as a prostitute. Now, in our culture, when you see a man with long hair or his head uncovered or covered with a hat, you don't conclude, well, he's not an authority to anything. His wife must walk all over him. Look at it. He's wearing a hat today. He's got long hair. You know, we don't come to those conclusions. We just think, hey, you know what? It's good you wear a hat. It makes you look better. Or you know what? Maybe you shouldn't. Or, you know, we think you should get a haircut. Your hair's too long. You know, we don't have the same thing. It, it just comes back to fashion once again. But in the Corinthian culture, when they saw a man with his head covered, to them that meant you're not an authority. You're demonstrating by covering your head that you are not in authority here. And in that culture, just like we saw with the women's hair length, long hair was for male prostitutes. Uh, so short hair demonstrated, hey, we're women who are prostitutes. The long hair was, hey, we are men who are prostitutes. So in our culture, if you see a man with his head uncovered with short hair, you don't conclude, man, there's a man of authority. I mean, the women in his life was really submit to his authority. Look at his short hair. He's just a man of great authority. He has not has it covered. He's not wearing any hat. He, he's just an authority figure. You know, we don't conclude that. We don't think, oh, short hair, no hat, authority. We think, okay, you look good or you don't. You know, once again, it comes back to fashion. But in the Corinthian culture, they see a man with his head uncovered to them. That meant you're an authority. And short hair was a good thing because long hair to them was, you are a male prostitute. Uh, and so the short hair and this uncovered head was demonstrating you have authority and this is a healthy thing. So this example of head covering and hair length is very cultural, just like the last example when we were looking at, you know, Christian liberties, the example was eating meat sacrificed to idols. Obviously, that's not a cultural struggle that we have, just like head coverings and hair length don't mean the same thing in the culture. But just like with Christian liberties, and we see here with this, there is a principle of headship and submission to headship that God wants us to see, but sometimes we get sidetracked by, you know, an example that is cultural that doesn't make so much sense to us because our culture views these things quite differently than the culture that Paul was writing to. And so as we look at this cultural example, I want to make sure we understand two things. First, don't miss the main point that Paul is trying to make, and that is God's order of headship. Don't get sidetracked with the example and miss the main point, which a lot of people do, and it's unfortunate. Second, don't jump to the wrong conclusions with this cultural example. There have been many Christians who have jumped to the wrong conclusions about head coverings and hair length because of this cultural example that Paul has given. They have concluded that any man wearing long hair is in sin. So according to them, Manny is in sin today because he's a man with long hair. And that any man who has his head covered with a hat or anything else He's also in sin. And so no one has their head covered as a man here, so you guys are all good. But um, any woman with short hair is in sin, and that any woman in the church with her head uncovered is in sin. And so every single woman here is in sin because all of you have your head uncovered. Now, I want to make very clear that none of those conclusions are true for us 
in our culture today because in our culture, long hair, short hair, head coverings have nothing to do with headship and submission to headship. So if you're a man here this morning and you have long hair, Manny, you are not in sin. If you're wearing hats, you're not in sin. If you're a woman and you have short hair, you think that looks best on you, you're not in sin. If your head is not covered, you are not in sin. The reason Paul says what he says about head coverings and hair length is because in the Corinthian culture, they symbolize something different. Headship and submission to headship. And so that's why he shares what he does. And so now that we hopefully understand that and don't get sidetracked from that, let's look at what he says. Verse 4, he starts addressing men. Every man prophesying or praying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, since in that culture, if you had your head covered, it meant you were under someone else's authority. And if it was uncovered, it meant you were in authority. For a man to pray or prophesy with his head covered would be saying, I'm not in authority here. I'm under the authority of others. And so he's taking this spiritual leadership within the church because he's prophesying, he's praying, but he's not actually demonstrating the authority that God has given to him, the leadership that God has given to him. He's kind of saying, I'm going to take this role, but yet I'm going to abandon the authority that God has placed with it. God has established that men should be the head and authority of the church. And so when he does this, he's kind of demonstrating, I'm not following the authority that God has given me. But when men cover their head while praying, they really are showing that they're, they're passing on. And I think that's something I want you to, that they're, they're passing on the authority that God has given them. They're not taking it seriously. And Paul says it's dishonoring for men to give up their spiritual authority that has been given by God. And when men don't exercise the spiritual authority, they dishonor their head. Now, when Paul says they dishonor their head, he's not speaking about their physical head that rests on their neck. He's speaking about the authority in their life. Who's the authority in the man's life? Jesus. When they don't follow the biblical headship and they don't take on the authority spiritually in the church and in the home, they are dishonoring Jesus who actually has given them and blessed them with that responsibility and that role. So in that culture, when men covered their head, it showed they were giving up their authority. Now, in our culture today, we might have a different mindset towards head coverings and hair length, but I do want you to understand we still have the same problem, and that is the problem of men giving up the headship and spiritual authority that God has placed upon us in the church and in the home. We might not have an outward demonstration like that culture did. We might not be able to see, oh, well, your hair's long, or oh, well, your head's uncovered, but it still happens maybe even more regularly now than it did back then. You know, I read an interesting article about the state of men today, and it said this. Rather than moving from boyhood to manhood, we created a third life stage in the middle called adolescence. In our culture, we have a growing number of men who are in a state of indefinite adolescence. The sad consequence of this is we are left with a Peter Pan syndrome epidemic where some men want to remain boys forever. You know, I think this accurately describes our culture practically in many respects, but it definitely describes the church spiritually. So many men do not want to grow up spiritually, do not want to take the leadership and authority and the responsibility that God has given to them in the home and in the church. They just want to remain boys forever and abandon all authority and headship that God has given to them. 
And we see that. We see that in the church today. And as men, we need to stop passing the responsibility of headship and authority that God has given us to other people. Whether it be to our wife, whether it be to other people in the church, we need to take on board the responsibility that God has given us. And really, this is one of the main reasons why in homes and churches today, they're in such an unbiblical state. It's because many men have not taken on this spiritual headship, this spiritual responsibility. So if you were here as a man this morning, and you recognize, you know what, I am not taking this responsibility seriously. I definitely am not the spiritual head of my home, and I'm not really in any spiritual role in the church. Don't just be content with that. Don't keep pushing that off. Don't keep saying, you know what, I'm just going to give that role and authority to someone else. I encourage you today, get before the Lord. First, repent for not following his order of headship and authority that he's given you, and then ask him to help you to actually do what he's called you to do in that area. So Paul starts by addressing men who were covering their head, which was demonstrating they were giving up God's ordained authority that was given to them. And now Paul is going to address women in verses 5 and 6. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Now, in that culture, since covering your head meant that you were under someone else's authority, for a woman to pray in a church or prophesy in a church with her head uncovered was saying, I am not under any authority here. Actually, I am taking authority within this church service, and I am prophesying, and I am praying, and I have no authority over me, which goes against what God has established that the men and the leadership that God places in the church are to be those who take the authority in the church. And so ultimately what this woman is saying is, I am not under the authority that God has established in my life. My father, nope, not my authority. My husband, nope, not my authority. The, the men in the church who are in leadership, nope, they're not my authority. I am, I am not in submission to any of them. Now, in our culture, if we saw a woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered, we wouldn't come to any of those conclusions. But in that culture, that is ultimately what they would conclude and what this woman was declaring. And so that's why Paul says, in this church service, if you're getting up, it's a wonderful thing to pray. It's a wonderful thing to prophesy. But make sure you are not demonstrating to these people that you do not follow the authority structure that God has established. Now, in our culture today, we might have differences with regard to head coverings, with regard to length of hair. But just like with men, we have the same issue with women. Women unwilling to submit to the authority that God has placed in their life. And for some, they are trying to take the spiritual authority in the family, take the spiritual authority in the church that God hasn't given to them. And just like With men, one of the main reasons homes and churches are in the unbiblical state they're in is because there are Christian women who are saying, I will not submit to the authority that God has placed in my life. I'm not going to do it you know, because I feel like that makes me inferior. There's all these different reasons because we're adopting a cultural perspective instead of a biblical perspective of things, and they're abandoning what God 
has given them and the role that he has given them. And if you are a woman here this morning and that's you and you're saying, you know what, I am not willing to submit to my husband or to my father or to church leadership, then let me just say first, that's unbiblical. And second, repent. Don't leave here just continuing with that mindset and that approach. Say, God, I want you to help me to accept the authority that you placed in my life and to be willing to submit to that authority so I can bring honor and glory to you in it. So the first example that Paul uses here is this cultural example of headship and hair length, which definitely has some different connotations than ours. But he gives a second example, and I'm so pleased that he does, because it's an example in creation which has no cultural difference at all. It's just something that we see as we look back at what God did when he first created men and women. Let's see what Paul says in verses 7 through 12. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Now, Paul has already established that there's a, a godly order of headship, where the father is the head of Jesus, Jesus is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. Now he reveals that this God-ordained order of headship was something that God established in creation. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, you go back to where there was no sin, God had established this order of headship and submission to headship. And this is why Paul says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for man. You see, back when God created everything, man was created first. Who was the first man? Adam. Who came after Adam? Eve. She was created from his rib. So first God created Adam. Second, he created Eve. So Adam was first. Eve was second. Also, Adam was not created for Eve because he was first, but Eve was created for Adam. She was created to be Adam's helper. So back in the garden, before there was any sin, God established headship and submission to headship. God made Adam the head, the authority, and he placed Eve in a place of submission to Adam the head and authority to be the helper to Adam. Now, Paul doesn't want people to get the wrong idea of the fact that woman was created from man and for man and to make some weird conclusions. So he goes on to kind of clarify it. So he says, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Eve might have come from Adam's rib, but that doesn't mean Adam is better than Eve in any way. As we already looked at before, there's equality because every person that is male since Adam has come through woman in childbirth. Uh, and so there is this important reality and connection. And, you know, in the Lord, as Paul says, you know, we're equal. You know, we see, you know, men, woman, there is equality in Christ. And so Paul wants us to understand that men and women need each other. Just because God has established headship and submission to headship does not make us independent. It makes us dependent. We're dependent on one another. We need one another. There is an equality in our relationship together. 
So with this example of creation, Paul takes us back to God's initial plan in the perfect garden when he said everything was good, when there was no sin, and in that perfect place, which a lot of people say, well, in a perfect place, there wouldn't be any headship and submission, that's for sure. Well, actually, in the Godhead, there's headship and submission, and that's perfect. And in the garden, there was headship and submission, and that's perfect. God has always wanted that. He's always established that. He started it there. And so we can look at this cultural example and say, well, our culture is different today. True, but creation is not different. That is something that we all follow. Nothing has changed. The headship that God has established is still the same today. The father's the head over Jesus. Jesus is the head over man and man is the head over woman. So the first example is cultural. The second example is creation. And the third example here, the final one that Paul gives is one that he uses about nature. Let's see what he says in verses 13 through 16. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, with this example of nature, Paul brings us back to this issue of head coverings and hair length that connect to the cultural view of that being uh, something that shows headship and shows... Um, submission to headship. And he asks a couple of questions. The first is, judge for yourself, it's proper for a woman to pray to God with their head uncovered. You know, Paul's basically saying, you know what, you Corinthians, within the culture that we have today, you should understand that it's improper for that to happen because it shows that she's not an authority. You know that that demonstrates that, and so she shouldn't do it because she's making a statement that I'm not an, under anybody's authority here, and that goes against God's structure of authority. Second, he says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? You know, it's interesting if you look throughout, you know, history, generally speaking, women always have, in, in any culture, longer hair than men. Now, the hair length can, can change. You know, men can have longer hair or shorter hair, but usually, even when men have longer hair, women still have longer hair than that. You know, in most cultures, generally, you know, there's exceptions to the rule. You usually have men with longer hair, uh, shorter hair, and women with longer hair. And so Paul is saying, hey, look around at nature or culture. Doesn't it teach you that long hair is a dishonor to the man? Now, obviously, in that culture, it truly was dishonoring because men with long hair were prostitutes. Um, but, you know, he's just saying, hey, just look naturally as you see, you know, throughout nature, throughout history, that that is just a common thing. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her for her hair is given to her for a covering. But once again, Paul's just coming back to this cultural example of headship uh, and, you know, hair length. And he's saying, hey, you know, this is something that is a great thing. Men, keep your hair short. Women, keep your hair long. Because in our culture, that symbolizes a submission to authority or an authority over others, which is important. But notice how Paul ends this, which I think is very important to note. He says, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom nor do the churches of God. Paul never meant head coverings and hair length to be something that the church would get legalistic on, get judgmental on, get contentious with. Unfortunately, in the church world, we have gotten legalistic and judgmental and contentious over some of these things. But that was never Paul's uh, thing. He's sharing all these things for the ultimate purpose of saying there is a clear God-given authority structure. Father over the Son, 
Jesus over man, man over woman. That, that's what he's wanting people to grasp. But within that, he shares, because they ask a practical question, well, within our church, you know, what do we do with this symbol of headship that's a head covering or, or hair length? And so he, he gives them practical advice with that. But he ends with this reality. If this seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Hey, don't let this be something that causes contention here. This is not like you have to do this. This is, I'm giving you a practical example of how you can demonstrate headship that God has established and submission to headship that God has established. But the main thing I want you to know is God's ordained headship and submission that you need to follow. You know, when we lived in Scotland, there were churches who, you know, all the women would wear head coverings, but they completely missed the point. I knew a lot of those women. They didn't submit to their husbands in the least. They didn't submit to the leadership in the church in the least, but every week they had their head covered, you know, but they missed it. It's like, it's not about the hat. It's about being submissive to the authority that God has placed in your life. And so, hey, if you have long hair as a man and you're still being willing to take the authority that God has given, awesome. You know, if you have short hair as a woman and your, your head's uncovered, but you're submissive to the authority God has given you, that is the point that Paul wants us to understand. And so this is something. Men, having long hair or covering your head is not a sin. But you know what? What is a sin is if you're not submitting to Jesus, who's your head. What is a sin is if you're not taking on the spiritual headship in your home and in the church. Those are sins. Those are the things that we could be, should be concerned about, not how long your hair is or how often you wear a hat. Women, having short hair or your head uncovered, that's not a sin. But what is a sin is not submitting to your father, not submitting to your husband, not submitting to the church leadership, to those people that God has placed as authority figures in your life. Headship and submission to headship is something that God has established. It's something that's very important to him. And so it should be very important to us. And we need to really close out the lies of the world that kind of try to demean this, that make it seem like this is so bad, this is so horrible, this makes people in the submissive role, these inferior bad people and these other people, as you know, these whatever. You know, that is not what the Bible teaches. We need to recognize in the Godhead itself, it's perfectly done, and it can be that way within the relationship between men and women. I want to just take some time just to be quiet before the Lord And my challenge to you, if you are a man this morning and, you know, you say, I have not done what God has called me to do. I am not taking on the responsibility of spiritually leading my home, of leading in the church spiritually. I failed in that. I've passed that off. I'm definitely not submitting to the authority of Jesus in my life. As we take this time just to be quiet before the Lord, my challenge and encouragement to you is ask God to forgive you, but also ask him to help you to change. Don't just recognize you got a problem. Recognize, Lord, I want something different in my home. I want something different in the church. I want something different in my life. I want to take on that role that you've given me and quit passing it on to others. And if you're a woman here this morning and you say to yourself, you know what? I have abandoned what God has ordained as the heads of my life. I am not willing to submit to my husband. I'm not willing to submit to my father. I'm not willing to submit to the male leadership in the church. That is just not something that I've done. I would encourage you this morning, first, repent and ask God to help you change. Ask God to help you recognize the significance and the importance of doing that unto him. And so let's just take a moment just to be quiet before the Lord, I'm not going to make anyone raise their hand and say, I'm not, you know, following what God's, you know, headship structure is. You know where you're at. You know what you're struggling with. 
And God's the one who can help you, and God's the one who can forgive you. And so let's just be quiet before the Lord. If you need to address him, great. If you're doing great in this area, then just pray for some other area that you're not doing great in. uh, And let's just be quiet before the Lord for a few minutes.